you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Acts 16? So I promise you, while I'm not going to be preaching for the next several weeks, I'm not going to load it all into this sermon. I promise you. You'll be out, you know, before three o'clock this afternoon, I promise. You know, as you travel the world, and I've had the privilege to travel to some places, some of the most spectacular sights that you can see are churches, or at least they once were churches. It's amazing, the architecture, it's beautiful, but, but often these historical sites, these historical landmarkers have, have become just that. They're not, they're not churches anymore. There aren't people that meet in there regularly preaching and singing, much like we did today, singing the good news of Jesus Christ, reading scripture, that the community that reflects Jesus Christ, that meeting, that gathering of God's people has long since left. And it's been 500 years, sometimes it's been a thousand years. It's pretty amazing. In, in a sense, those churches, as beautiful as they are, they're hollowed out from their original purpose. But I come to the book of Acts and I'm regularly reminded of what the purpose of the church is. And it's not to be a monument or a historical marker. It's the people of God who are advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the story of Acts. So Acts is an amazing story of how geographically there is a gospel advance. So the gospel goes from this little place in the Middle East and it begins to go around to to Western Asia and then into Europe and then it goes to Africa and then spreads even uh, further into Asia. It's It's the good news of Jesus Christ that is advancing. The book of Acts is a story of the gospel advanced ethnically, so it starts off with the Jews, but then quickly it goes not just to the Jews, but to all nations, and it prepares us for revelation where there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every race gathered around God's throne. This is the book of Acts, and it lays the pathway for all nations hearing the message of the Messiah. It didn't just come from one, for one ethnicity, it came for all Socially, the, the gospel advances. I'm so grateful for this. It doesn't advance just to the academically elite or the upper crust of society when it comes to economics, but the gospel advances to all classes, all parts of society. I want us to look at one particular chapter because I think so much of the gospel advance in Acts is represented in Acts chapter 16. And it's really the story, especially the the second portion of Acts 16, is the story of one city. But in that one city, in this one chapter, we see where the gospel advanced. And I, I want us to look at this one city named Philippi and how the gospel went forward there so that it might guard our hearts. Because I, I don't think anybody ever set out for their church to be just the historical marker with no gospel advance taking place. What can guard our church's mission? I think when we begin to wrap our mind around this particular chapter of God's word, it will help us. Maybe a good way to think about it this morning is to kind of have some freeze frames. So I I want us to look at a a picture, kind of a snapshot and, and several of these, and we'll kind of freeze them in our mind, and then we'll move on to the next one as we see what, what is God doing? So the first one of those is in Acts chapter 16. So let's, let's, verse 11, let's see this kind of the setting here. So setting self from Troas... We, that's Luke and Paul and his companions, made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. 
We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Why they supposed that was, this was Jewish custom. Often the Jewish people, before there was a synagogue in the city, before there were enough people to assemble that way, would go out to the river. By the river, they would sit down and they would pray. They would think about the Lord and they would talk. And so Paul goes to that place and says, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I want us to kind of freeze frame by asking some questions. Some questions, and we're going to ask these of each kind of the, each of the frames as we go through the book of Acts. So the first question we're going to ask is, who do we see? In this story, as it unfolds, who do we see? And this is a good place for a church to start to not forget our mission, because if we ever stop seeing people, if we ever forget it is about people in need of relationship with Jesus Christ and how that brings him great glory, then we've gotten, we, we've lost our focus, our our. Our mission has drifted. Who do we see? We see Lydia. She's a female, which certainly meant some amount of vulnerability in the ancient world. Seems as if she was a a successful businesswoman. And it seems as if she's religious. She's going to the place of prayer on the Sabbath day. That's who we see, but where do we see grace at work? And more specifically, like God's grace at work. Where do we see grace at work in Lydia's life? There are no coincidences in Acts 16. God had been preparing Lydia, and God had been preparing Paul and Luke and that missionary team that was going out for this divine encounter. God had been orchestrating these events. And so in the moment where she begins to hear, not just about God, but specifically as Paul speaks the word to her about Jesus Christ. What scripture says, this is how we know grace was at work because her heart is open to pay attention to what Paul was saying. This is a work only God can do. I wish I could reach in and open everybody's heart so that you would be open to hearing what the Lord has to say for you. I, I don't have that skill. I don't have that gift. Only know of one who has that skill and that is God Almighty who opens the heart so that you might pay attention to what God is saying. Opens the heart of people that are even religious that maybe a moment ago when we heard, you know, body broken for you, blood shed for you, you said, I, I, I feel that's important and I feel that's good, but, I, but I'm distant from that, but I'm, I'm open. That's God opening your heart to say, well, what, what, is, what is being said? And not only does God open our heart, but at, at that time, he also brings a messenger. So there's a faithful messenger. And this is where the responsibility that we have to share the message of Christ comes in because her heart's open, but, but with that comes someone ready to share, ready to talk about the word of the Lord. He brings a messenger with the gospel at just that moment, and she responds in belief. Amazingly, her whole household does as well. At the end, by verse 15, she's opening her household for the church to meet, the new, like, the new believers to gather there, the beginnings of the church at Philippi. Lydia will never be the same because God's grace was at work in her life. 
this is who we see, and this is where God's grace is at work, but I don't want to stop there because I, I want to ask the question, what could this mean for our church? This is great for Lydia. It's great for ancient Greece, a little colony there named Philippi. What does it mean for Ogletown? What will this mean for our church? I, I, I believe there will be people much like Lydia that will cross our paths. And they might be generally religious and interested and open to what the Lord has for them to know. And God may be bringing messengers into their lives. And this is what I believe. I believe you might be one of those messengers. That God has orchestrated at just the moment, like five years ago, one year ago, five months ago, they may have not been interested, but now their heart is open. They're open to believe. They're open to understand. And there you are. God has strategically put you there, present in their lives. To share, to share the truth, to, to be intentional about engaging, to be bold with your faith, to be confident in God's work, to be clear with the gospel. Notice Paul doesn't say, you know, Lydia, I really perceive you are a good person. So what I would just encourage you is to continue being the best version of yourself and go your way. That is not what he says. He speaks the message of truth to her. It's not just about being a better person. He, he gives hope that there is a man named Jesus Christ and he died for sins. He died for sinners. And he speaks and begins to fill in some of the gaps that she may not have heard. She was a worshiper of God. Maybe she'd never heard the clear message of Jesus Christ. But Paul shares, Paul's present. Are we aware of those people around us? Are we aware individually? Are we aware as a community? How can we bring bring people like the Lydia's of Newark, of Newcastle County, of the Mid-Atlantic? that cross our paths, that come in our doors? How can we be bold about the gospel and be intentional about the truth? What happens when they show up here? Do they find people eager to care, eager to love? Maybe, maybe next week you'll sit down and what you don't know is that a person, one seat in front of you is open because God opened their heart. Will our church be that kind of community that says we can share the message of Christ? We can see the gospel advance like never before. I think that our church will continue to see people like Lydia cross our paths and God will be at work and by his grace, their lives are never going to be the same. It's not just Lydia and Philippi though. So that's, that's kind of our, our frame number one there. But if we kind of keep the story going, we'll, we'll freeze it in on another frame. Look at verse 16. Let's continue reading there. There's something parallel, and that is they're going to the place of prayer again. So notice that comes up a couple times here in Acts 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met, almost confronted by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And she brought her owners, so she's a slave. She brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She's making a lot of money, it's just not hers. She followed Paul and us, and she was crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. 
they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. You know, kind of patriotic. I mean, we have a way of doing things here in Philippi, and they are the outsiders messing everything up. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this is amazing encounter with Lydia and it's beautiful and her heart, you know, there she is by the river and she opens her heart to believe what's being said to her by Paul and she responds with baptism in her whole household. This is not so pretty, is it? This is the ugly side, the difficult side of the world we live in. Who do we see here? Let's ask our questions again. Who, who do we see? Let's, let's linger here long enough to see a slave. Let's linger long enough here to see a woman made in the image of God who now has an owner. Let's see this person that is the most vulnerable in society. She's not in control. Anything she earns will only benefit owners and probably make her life more miserable. You see demonic activity as well as people around her sinfully exploiting her. And so you see her, and we need to have eyes wide open to her, but also let's make sure we see God's grace at work because God has been preparing her and her circumstances for just this moment. She has exposure to servants of the Most High God, not just religious people, but she recognizes their identity, they're servants of the Most High God, and she recognizes their mission. They've come to proclaim the way of salvation, salvation, rescue, and freedom. She recognizes some things about them. But she's still in bondage until she is set free by the authoritative name of Jesus Christ. Just read Acts sometime and read regularly how the authority of Jesus Christ goes forward and begins to set, set people free and begins to advance the gospel. She receives a taste of kindness and compassion and hope. What we don't know, what we don't know is what happened next to her. We know her owners were done. Like she can't bring them money anymore. She's worthless to them. There's a lot of writers that would tell you, that would speculate and say, it seems like she would have been a great candidate for the first church at Philippi. We don't know. It doesn't say. Well, I think it's likely she could have been invested in that community and loved in that place. But it does give us a glimpse into God at work. When this lady, this image bearer of God, ends up being freed. What could this mean for our church? What will, what will this mean for our church? Church, we've got to be, individually, we've got to be more aware of those who are enslaved. We've got to do more than just pity. It's a shame. How sad. But, but what moves in our heart as Christians is to act, to care and not ignore to see the bondage. And there's always kind of the external side of that, of someone in bondage, and there's the things that are ugly about that. But then you begin to see bondage for what it really is. You begin to see the people for, for who they are, and you see the power of operating with the authority of Jesus Christ that may break strongholds that have been in place for a long time. You know, it's never, it's never, it's never easy to engage the brokenness. It wasn't easy here. So when life is complicated and things are messy, it's never easy to walk into those things. And this ends up with Paul and Silas in prison. This is not easy. But then the way of Christ never was meant to be easy. 
the mission advances into tough, tough places. When you enter a world of people that are hurt, often they respond by hurting you. As we enter into a world where there are students that are just broken on the inside, it may manifest itself in just a, a mouthy smart aleck. But deep down, what's going on there? Can we, can we get past? Can we get past this veneer to see there's, there's a person that needs to be loved? Who knows what they've seen? Who knows what they've endured? Sometimes we see people that are kind, but they're stubborn, and we think, ah, what's the use? Or sometimes we see that situation that seems so hopeless and helpless, they're like, oh, what's the chance? The bondage is too great. But individually, can we be like Christ? Can we be like Paul, a heart that is stirred, a willingness to move toward difficulty, a willingness for our lives to be uncomfortable as we confront even brokenness? Together as a community, can we be those who will pray, those who will form a community of grace? It's great we gather, but there ought to be more than just just people in a building who've assembled at the same time. Christ died for more than that, right? He died for a family, and a family of grace, a family that's when someone walks in this door and they're broken, like we all are, that we say, this is going to be a safe place. And you'll hear the truth here, but you will, you will receive love here. And you will receive patience here. And we'll pour out our lives for each other. You're not an attender to kind of buttress the significance of a, a church. You're a person that matters to God and matters to us. We're not Jesus Christ. So I can't offer to change anybody's life, but I have the message and the authority of Jesus Christ. And he can change lives. And the Holy Spirit can work. Do we show this is how he loves? Lives rebuilt. Long-term change. Generations impacted. What I'm not talking about is a quick fix. I, I don't really know any of those. So what, what we won't give you as you exit today is magic wands to make everybody's life better that you come into contact with. There's no such thing. But we go with the authority of Jesus Christ. We go as sinners who've been made right with God, who carry in us the Holy Spirit of God. Can we go into that world and, and preach good news and share good news? Can, when people come into our, our space, our, our walls here, do they sense pretty immediately, what is going on here? There's love here that I've never seen before. So we, we're taking the frame. So we see Lydia and then we see this girl who was formerly a slave and then set free. But there's one more, one more frame here. Look at verse 25. I should remind you, Paul is in prison at this point. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, there they are again, and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and If you know that region well, you know this is not an unusual thing. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and then he brought them out and said, sirs, 
what must I do to be saved? And we're not exactly sure what he's talking about. Is it like saved from his boss? Saved from the Roman government? Saved from his sin? Maybe just all the above. Maybe it's one of those. But he knows something has happened definitively. What do I need to be, to, to be saved? In verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set before and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let me just go through the questions again, right? Who do we see? Just interesting, this jailer that we see Because at the beginning of Acts 16, kind of as the story begins to unfold, he is not in a vulnerable position at all. He's not like the slave girl. He's actually in power. He's an authority. He's the one that actually can oppress people and carry out the desires to oppress people. He's in a position of power. Doesn't seem like he's seeking God at all. At least the text doesn't say he is. He has no interest. He's not not quite like Lydia, it doesn't seem like, where she's going to the river to see what, what may be said, what truth may be found. But he has this divine encounter and it leads him to a place of desperation where he's more open and frankly more vulnerable. I imagine at the beginning of Acts 16, we could all look and go, this would be the unlikely, never, never this person. Lydia, I could see how she might become a Christian. This person, no chance. But then grace goes to work. Grace goes to work, doesn't it? Do you see the change, how rapidly? So in verse 23 and verse 24, he's just doing his job. He's just locking people up. That's his job. What does he do? He locks people up. He's a jailer. In verse 27, he's, com- he's considering suicide. He's gone suicidal because maybe life isn't worth living. But by the time you get to verse 30, he's asking, how can I be saved? By the time you get to 32 to 34... He's believing, he's getting baptized, he's rejoicing. And there's this complete family change, his whole household. What could this mean for our church? Likely God will bring in our path people like Lydia, open. People like the slave girl being taken advantage of. But, but what, about, what about people who find themselves desperate? people that God just took the furniture of their life and just completely rearranged it and then tipped it upside down and they're left wondering what is going on you know as well as I do when those things start happening people start asking some bigger questions they begin to get desperate like what is life about and in those desperate moments maybe God would have placed you in their life to say yeah I think First, I want to be your friend, and I think God might be at work here. You're not preachy, but you're present. And you tell him, I'll pray. And you begin to follow up. Maybe they get a glimpse into you and your, your community. Who are these friends? Who are these people that care so much? And they begin to see a desperate situation that's made them ask questions they never envisioned they would even ask. They had it all figured out until, until life got interrupted. But there you are. I wonder if we could see the gospel advance like never before in lives of people that are desperate. So we, we have a picture. We have kind of, we've, we've frozen the frame. And here's Lydia. And 
God worked in her life. And there we see this slave girl and God set her free and, and maybe she becomes a, a, a true follower of Jesus Christ. And then we, we see the picture of the jailer and, and we could even go one more frame if we wanted to advance the, kind of advance the story 10 years and that is Paul writing from prison to a church, to the church that is formed at Philippi. And he begins to write words to this church that 10 years later, the, we read the beginning, but 10 years later. So let's fast forward to 2027 and, and God has a plan and God is working that plan out. And so Paul writes something to this church that was birthed here in Acts 16. And he says in Philippians 2.27, you're striving side by side for the gospel. You're advancing. And then he says in Philippians 1.12, there are obstacles that you see as obstacles, maybe like prison, that you think stop the gospel, but actually they just have a way of advancing the gospel. And then he says in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident that the one who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. Maybe God, this would be an amazing thought. God may be starting a good work right now in lives in this room or maybe someone that's going to come next week or maybe someone that's going to move in next to you in a month and God may be doing a good work that 10 years later, who knows where this will be. But a whole generation might have changed. Maybe that someone will go back and go, you know, let me someone gets asked, like, how did you become a Christian? Well, the story actually starts with my great-grandmother. The story starts with my, my uncle. The story starts with my brother. God may be doing that work right now. You know, as, as I read this, and I hope you're inspired to see what the church could be, I think one of my greatest fears, just to be extremely blunt, is that some, maybe many, who hear this are inspired, but you almost check out because you think, you think you really can't imagine yourselves being on the front line. And so like casting out demons isn't your normal way of life. And frankly, it would terrify you to be in a circumstance like that. You're not necessarily eager to go to prison for the Lord's sake. So you feel just very, very ordinary and Paul feels spectacular. And so you kind of put yourself in the story and you begin to go, ah, yeah, I'm inspired of what a church could do, even what Ogletown Baptist Church could do. I'm inspired to think what God could do here, but I, I, I guess that will be like the tip of the spear will be someone else because I really feel like I'm not going to be that person because maybe it's because of age. You know, I had my day where I could really do great things for the Lord, but like those days have passed and my energy isn't what it once was. Or maybe you, you look at your personality and you go, you know, that, that would require this, this kind of personality, this extrovert or this strong, strong person and I'm, I'm just not that. Or maybe you look at your background and you think it's, it doesn't really... It's not kind of a, a blue chip background. Gets a little sketchy in places and you go, ah, I, I think that's great that our church would, you know, advance the gospel, but I, I, don't, I don't know that's going to involve me. Or maybe you look at your past lack of walking with Christ and you go, I, I'm not sure that message is exactly for me because you don't think of yourself as engaging on the front lines. You don't think of yourselves as a critical part of the mission. So they say a picture is worth a thousand words, and I want to show you a picture. So if you were to go to Augusta, Georgia, you'd come across one of the most meaningful places to me on the earth. This is where my dad's buried. If you took about five steps that way, you would see where my grandmother was buried, where I preached her funeral as well. 
it was interesting. And why I show this picture at this moment, so clear that my dad was in the military. What surprised us when we were getting that memorial, that marker, is that last line. You see Operation Desert Storm. It surprised us that that would be on his marker. Because my dad wasn't deployed in Operation Desert Storm. He didn't go to Saudi Arabia. He didn't go to Kuwait. He didn't go to Iraq. He stayed at Fort Gordon. And he was a part of support. But, but the part he was supporting in Operation Desert Storm was he was training soldiers and airmen to go to the places, to go to the difficult places. And he was part of the community at Fort Gordon to train those soldiers so that when they got into combat, they would know exactly what to do. And Veteran Affairs in the United States Air Force says it's worth noting that Ron Hill participated in Operation Desert Storm. And this is, this is what hit, flooded to me this week. As I think of our church, and, and gratefully, we're a multi-generational church. So every week I see little old ladies. I see widows and widowers. I see married and single. I see those that are physically and mentally disabled. I see those that are old and young, those that have a pretty high-paying job, and some that don't, some that are retired, some that aren't. This is what I see every week come at Ogletown. I think we are part of a community. And there's like no incidental like, well, you, you really don't matter. These people really matter. And so I think of the people that, like the, they don't seem on the tip of the spear, but they show up. And you know, they show up and they love their church and they pray for their church. And when it comes time to sing, you know what they do? They sing. And when it comes time to pray, you know what they do? They pray. And when it comes time to give, they give. And when it comes time to help out in Kids Connection, they help out there. And they show up with our students and they, they care and, and they say hello to each other. And they, they choose not to see all the worst of a church because surely we've got, we've got things. We're not perfect. They don't see all the warts, but they love their church and they don't gossip and they don't hit the parking lot talking about this and that. But they, they, they talk about what God is doing here and they love and they pray and they show up faithfully week after week after week after week. And then I think it's similar to the Operation Desert Storm. We're all a part of it. And every part is critical. Regardless of what role you play, if you're a part of this church family, you you play a significant role. And every time you reach out, every time you sing, every time you stay afterwards and you engage that stranger, stranger to you, you don't know who they are, but you engage and you show a little bit of the love of Christ. Every Sunday you do that. Every day of the week you do that. Every time you invite someone to church. Every time you spend time in the words so that you could grow in the Lord, you're contributing to this mission that is too big for any person to accomplish. But it will take all of us. I see the gospel advancing in Philippi, and this is what I say. Lord, in your providence, may you just let the gospel advance out of Newark. And in the process, use Ogletown, however you want to use, however you want to use us, but may we be filled so that we could have our own freeze frames of like this is so-and-so and this is her story and this is his story and this is their story and this is how a whole family changed because of 2017 and what God did here. I, I want you, I want you to join me in praying for that, that the gospel would advance and I want you to recognize the important part you're going to play in that happening. Can I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes? In a moment, we'll sing a 
a song of our passion to the Lord and how we com- we're going to confess as a church that Christ is all to us, that the glory of his name would be the passion of our church. Father, would you, would you draw people to yourself? I pray that we would be bold to share the message of Christ with those who are open and seeking, that we would be going into places that are difficult and dark. We'd be sharing the message of Christ there. And we'd be ready to meet people who are desperate and are asking, what do I need to do to be saved? But in the midst of all that, may the glory of your name be the passion of our church. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.